You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Part of the series, uh, this Art of Neighboring, what's interesting and unique about this uh, for three weeks, there is over 100 churches in the greater Charlotte area that are doing the same series together. Um, So this idea of that, can we as the church, the people of the church of Jesus, actually become good neighbors to those that we live around? Um, So it's been kind of fun as we explore that. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. And so if you're familiar with that story, it's one that uh, many times we've heard from the time we were young, if we grew up in church. But we answered the question, what does it look like to be a good neighbor? And we learned that the evidence of being a good neighbor isn't in what you know. If you remember from the story that uh, there was the expert in the law, this was a person who knew the the Jewish, the Hebrew law, the law of Moses, which was the predominant law on that day. So he knew all the right answers. He had the right theology. He believed the right things. And here's the thing. I believe he, he sincerely loved God. I think there was a sincerity there that we saw there. But what Jesus brought forth in that story was that how we treat others, particularly those that are closest to us, those that we encounter, that actually has an influence on how and where we spend eternity. They're they're connected, they're tied. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I mean, you can go to the, the Grace website and you can listen to it there or download it as a podcast. But this idea of of salvation and faith and is one thing and our life is completely separate is just not accurate. Very clearly the idea of loving God and loving others are inextricably linked as part of our walk of faith. Well today we're going to take a little uh, step beyond that and look um, a little bit more deeply into this topic. And we actually have a verse that is in Romans chapter 12 verses 9 and 10. So the two verses, it's relatively short in length. Uh, So I thought it might be good for us to read it together. So if you would join me. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And I'm thankful, Lord God, for what it teaches us, not just about you. It reveals you and and Lord, that uh, the, the amazing God we serve, but it also instructs us. It gives us guidance for how we're to live our lives here and now. Not as laws and regulations, but as so that we can get the most out of life, that these are for our benefit and for our good. And so, Lord, for the next few moments, I ask that you would uh, guide my words, and Lord, that uh, you'd also guide our ears, that each of us would hear what we need to hear this day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this past Thursday, I finished um, teaching an eight-week theology course uh, at a university extension uh, in Concord. And uh, so for the past eight Thursday evenings, I would drive over to Concord and spend three hours talking about theological issues like our doctrine of God, doctrine of creation, of humanity, of, of, uh, of actually Christ and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Trinity, and... Uh, so some of the things, you know, people are like, wow, that's exciting. Some of them are like, really? You just, you know, that doesn't sound very exciting. But I loved it. It was 13 undergrad students, and we're talking, and um, one student in particular. So she's uh, retaking the course. She took it with me last year. I taught this last fall as well. Um, 
But she failed the course. She failed it. And she's a very sharp individual, very competent, just, just, just really, really quick. Um, just wouldn't turn in any assignments. Wouldn't turn in assignments. And so this term, I see her back, and, you know, the, the, what I've quickly discovered, it was the exact same thing. So here's the thing that's really odd. She shows up every week to class, engages in group discussions, very involved there, but just won't turn in an assignment. I would send her an email and say, hey, you're behind. And my policy was, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a week period. So at, if it's due on a date, you have a week to submit it. There's a reduction in grade because it is late, but I'll ex- still accept it, get it in by a week. After a week, it goes to a zero. And so the first assignment, week goes by, got a zero. So I thought maybe that would spur her on and didn't... I, emails. I talked to her after class. It's like, yeah, I kind of need to get on that. And, 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 and nothing. She failed the class again. Um, just wouldn't, just wouldn't submit the assignment. She, but here's the thing. She never reached out for help. She never even acknowledged my emails that I sent her. So as a teacher, at first I was really puzzled. Like, what, what's going on in her wiring? You know, because it wasn't, if you, it's, not a question of, it's not an issue of capacity. She's very capable, very sharp individual. And so I, I then she wouldn't, didn't say anything. And so I went from kind of being puzzled to a little concerned, like what's something else going on here, to being really frustrated, you know, and just, just she knew what she needed to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's if you know what you need to do, but just, don't do it. And it's not because you're incapable. You're very capable. You've just made a choice not to do something. Um, I, that was just really frustrating for me as, a, as the teacher professor. But for reasons known only to her, she didn't submit an assignment. Not one for the whole eight-week ter- period. I would suggest that when it comes to loving our neighbor, some of us are like my students. We know we should love our neighbors, but we find it very difficult to do so. And it's not an issue of capacity. We're all very capable. And as we discussed this in a sermon te- uh, prep or semen team meetings, two things, two issues seem to kind of surface more as common reasons why people might don't, they don't engage their neighbors. Two main obstacles. Um, one of them, as you notice in your um, worship guide, your sermon outline, this idea of a time barrier. Most of us, we get up and go to work each morning, some of us earlier than others, but we get up and uh, we go to work and we spend the day engaging with people, we're doing projects, we're doing what we do. Uh, then we come home at the end of the day, many of us are physically tired, um, emotionally drained from all the things we've encountered that day. Uh, Some of us, we've had to stop at the store on our way home to pick up a few things for dinner, and someone's making dinner, and then we're cleaning up, and then we've got, after dinner, there's tasks and projects around the house, and there's more work for us to be doing. Some of us even bring work from, from work, we bring it home with us, and we're working on it because we have laptops, we can work on it anywhere, and so we're doing work at night, and and don't even talk about kids. Kids. I mean, kids in their picture, it's even more magnified as far as what's happening. You've got to monitor their homework and their behaviors and their activities and events and baths and thing, bedtimes and all those things. And weekends, 
Well, weekends is when you try to catch up on all the things you couldn't get to during the week. And who has time for getting to know my neighbors? I love what John Orberg is a pastor, an author. Uh, he uh, pastors a church out in uh, California. He says, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is one thing hurried people don't have. I just thought that was really significant. And it, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd see that's pretty true of us as well. I might like you and feel warm about you, but to actually show love and, and engage you at that level, there has to be time for that relationship to develop as well. So I, I think uh, Ortberg's statement is kind of painful, but it's true. What's interesting is that immediately following the story of the Good Samaritan, immediately at the very, in the book of Luke, the very next verse after that story ends, we, we find that Jesus is on his way, he's walking with his disciples, and he stops at the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And uh, some of you may be familiar with this story. We're at, I'm going to read it. It's in Luke chapter 10, <clears throat> and you can follow along as I read. So as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. I guess almost Martha, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, huh? You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So how do the words of Jesus speak to this matter of not enough time? Before I dive into that, how many of you... Um, how many of you identify with Martha in this story? All right, all right. so, so let, let, let's be honest. Martha, Martha didn't do anything wrong. She was doing what needed to be done. In that day, in particular in that day, if you're the owner of the home, and as particularly if you're the woman of the home, the idea of being the hostess and taking care of your guests was expected. So this was not something she was doing, something she shouldn't be doing. She was doing something that needed to be done and was right and proper that she should do that. So what's really going on here? I think Luke gives us a couple of clues in some of the words that he chose to use. One of them in, in verse 40, he says that Martha was distracted. She used that word distracted. And what, what, he, what I think if we can look at that a little, little um, take a step back a little bit, we, we realize that what, what he's saying is that she was really preoccupied, overly so. And she was working on getting the meal ready, and she was ignoring Jesus, her guest. So have you ever been, that, been in a situation where someone, um, sometimes where, um, I just think like an event, like a wedding reception, where you've got the person who's in charge of making sure everything's going, they're not paying attention to people. They're wanting to make sure that, that things are served at the right time, and this has been, and so they could care less about the people. They want to make sure the event happens on time. And so sometimes they can come across as kind of brusque and sensitive and uncaring because they want to make sure that things well, go well for the guests. Well, that's fine if you're the party coordinator and there isn't a hostess who is concerned about people. Martha wasn't doing that. 
Martha was so preoccupied, she was becoming almost a distraction. Sometimes you can tell when someone's frustrated and upset, and you can tell for her to actually verbalize these thoughts, this had been building. So Jesus has probably been there for a little while, and no one's helping, and she's, be, she's probably even said a thing or two to Mary, Mary, come on, help me, help me. And the frustration's building, so now she's probably, you know, clanging the pans a little louder. She's, you know, slamming doors a little louder. You know, you know what I'm saying? And so you've got that kind of going on as well, I would imagine. And it's becoming uncomfortable, I think, even for those who are sitting in the room. But that's what was happening. She, Martha was not just feeling put out. She was actually kind of acting out, if you will, in response to that. Excuse me, response to that. And then in verse 41, where Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Now, that's not one of those tisk tisk, you know, Martha, 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 you know, kind of the shaking your head, almost like in a pity thing. I really think that the tone of that is more he's trying to get her attention. Martha, Martha, you know, and it just, she's so preoccupied. He's actually said, you need to stop. I think that's what he was actually trying to do here. And that's the context. That's the setting, I think, that we see in this passage. Martha was so preoccupied with the matters of life, she was about to miss a significant moment with people she cared about, with Jesus himself. And that's what Jesus was speaking to. He says, listen, Mary's made a choice. What you're, do, he, what you're doing isn't wrong, but what she's chosen is better in this context. <clears throat> so how do we overcome then this time barrier? Well, I have a few thoughts. One, I think, is just make the main thing the main thing. Don't let yourself be distracted by all the noise around you. I, one of my biggest challenges in this regard is email. I, <laughs> Betsy says I have issues. This is one of them. Um, I can't stand those little red dots on my screen. You know, that's an unopened email on, or an unread text message. or Those red dots are like these alarms just screaming at me, and I can't. So I have to go in, and I just, even if I just touch it, open it, and I close it again, at least I get rid of the red dot. Okay, so in this context, those red dots are not the main thing. Keep the main thing. So for me, sometimes I have to, all right, take a step back, take a breath. What do you need to focus on right now? Leave the red dots alone. They'll be there in an hour. That's the problem. They will be there in an hour, but you can address them later. What's needed right now is right here in this particular project, or maybe it's this particular person. Make the main thing the main thing. Another thing is to eliminate the time stealers. <laughs> Put your phone down and pay attention to the people around you. I mean, really, if you walk into a room anymore, if you see people sitting down, everyone has their phone out. No one's paying attention to anybody. Um, it, it's just the way we are anymore. Our phone has become our safety net. It's our security blanket. When we're in an uncomfortable situation or setting that we're unknown, we pull out our phone and I don't even know what we're looking at, but we're looking at it. And, uh, <clears throat> but eliminate those types of things, things that would steal your time. Another one is be interruptible. Be interruptible. I'm convinced that some of God's greatest moments in life are disguised as interruptions and inconvenience. They are. Some of the most significant encounters I've had with people came to me not as a planned 
something that fit my schedule. It was something that came abruptly and unannounced, and, and the, some, you, know, you have to make some adjustments. And afterwards, you're like, wow, that was amazing. But you miss that if you're not interruptible. <clears throat> now, let's just be honest. When we say that we don't have enough time, really, it's just an excuse. It really is. All of us make time for the things that are most important to us. And I think that's the point. We're talking about a time barrier. Is that it becomes a matter of priority. So, however, there's another reason why people have trouble getting to know their other neighbor. And I think the second one is the fear factor. Did you notice in that video we watched the expressions and the faces of the people in the video when they were told that you're going to be seated next to a person that you don't know? I mean, some of them were, were just really... And I have to suspect that some of it was editing. They captured people at the right moment. But still, I mean, some of them were just priceless as to they didn't know what to think about this. None of them, none of them were excited. None of them said, hey, that's great. I'm just looking forward to that. Some of them actually looked a little bit afraid. Like, uh, I don't know if I can do that. Here's the thing. Had they not been forced to eat with someone else, had, that, had they had other options, their apprehension and fear would have caused them to miss significant conversations and encounters with other people. Left to their own choices, they would have missed what we saw happening on the screen there. And I think the same is true for all of us. Fear of the unknown and fear of rejection can keep people hiding in the safety of their home. But that's not what God wants for us. 2 Timothy 1 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That's what God wants for us. That's his plan for us. <clears throat> when the Israelite people left uh, slavery in Egypt, they made their way north um, up to what is present-day Israel and to that land. And as they got to the edge of the territory, Moses sent 12 spies into that territory to do a reconnaissance, reconnaissance mission and to find out who was in the land, what were they like, strengths, weaknesses, what are, what are we in for as we go into this territory? Numbers 13 gives us an account of the report by 10 of them. So they came back. 10 of them had one report. Two of them had a very different report. But the 10 in verse 31 of Numbers 13 says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Man that come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now, there are other, two other spies, <coughs> who, um, besides those ten men, um, who had a very different perspective. And they said, yes, the challenge is great. Yes, the people look huge. And yes, there's all kinds of challenges in front of us, but we can do this. God's on our side. We can do this. Let's not hold back. Let's go. And as much as they pleaded and tried to convince the people to believe them, it didn't work. They talked and talked to no avail. The people chose to listen to the other 10. 
And the people accepted the report of the ten, and they refused to enter into what the land had been promised to them because of their fear, because of their unwillingness to go in and, and engage that territory, the people there, those 10 men, and that entire generation of Israelites, they wandered around the wilderness until they died. They never did get to go into the land that had been promised to them. Their fear kept them from encountering and from collecting what God had for them. And that's what fear does to us as well. Fear distorts our perspective. Because we're afraid or uncomfortable with the situation, we come up with reasons and excuses for why it's not a good idea for us to connect with our neighbor. And we can rationalize just about anything, can't we? It's like, oh, I don't know, I got this. And all of a sudden, the more we play up, that becomes a really good reason. <laughs> and we see that as a valid one as opposed to an excuse. And, but it's fear that causes us to come to that conclusion and it distorts our perspective. Fear also paralyzes us. It keeps us from doing the very things we know we should do. I remember, um, well, this was 20 years ago probably, so let's go back ways. I had uh, hurt my shoulder and I needed shoulder surgery. And so the doctor went to see a specialist, and he said, well, yeah, we can fix that with surgery, and here's what will happen. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't want, I, I don't want surgery, you know. And uh, so he, he, he said, okay, come back when you're ready, knowing that I would be back, is what he was saying. And two years, two years went by. And one day, I'm out playing catch with my son, uh, with, play with a softball, and I'm left-handed as my left shoulder. I could not throw. So I'm, I'm out there doing this with my arm. So it's kind of a, and I, re, and I realized, this is stupid. I, you know, I couldn't raise my shoulder. I mean, just, I, I'd let it gotten so bad because of my fear of what was happening. And um, I have a friend who's a physical therapist. I said, so what happens? What will be the long-term effect on, on my shoulder if I have the surgery? He says, well, if you were an Olympic caliber weightlifter, you'd lose about 10% strength in your shoulder. You, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's, what's interesting, reflecting back in this letter that Paul wrote, again, remember he, he, um, he visited them, and when he came back, he sent a letter um, it didn't work. He heard that they were not behaving, so he sent the second letter, which is actually 1 Corinthians. Um, it still didn't work. We actually know from 2 Corinthians that Paul actually uh, made a visit, another visit, a second visit. It's not recorded in Acts. But he, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the time he came back to them again because they just weren't getting it. He'd had a personal visit, two different letters. He'd sent different people, and they just were really struggling. So he went out, and it says that he had a painful meeting, is how he described it, a painful visit. And uh, so it was a come-to-Jesus meeting, I guess, where he just said, and laid it on the line. And we know from 2 Corinthians and the content that we've seen there that they finally began to get it because the tone is very different they finally discovered that the significance in life comes from serving one another, not from being selfish and wanting things your own way. 
Serving one another is the key. May that always be true for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Let's pray. Father, this morning we've had a chance to, um, again, just to to sing and lift our voices and worship. We've had a chance to give. We've had a chance to talk and share and and laugh at some goofy videos. And uh, Father, again, all of it is because of our love and, and our passion for you and our desire to live out our faith. And Father, even though our faith is incredibly personal, it was never meant to be individualistic. It was always intended to be lived in relationship with other Christ followers. So God, thank you for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Father, thank you for what you're building and developing here and that you've called us to be a part of it. And uh, Lord, our desire is to honor you in all that we say and do. Father, if there's anyone here who is feeling a little left out, I pray, God, that an extra dose of grace would be on them this morning. Father, that uh, maybe there's feelings that have been hurt or maybe things didn't set quite right. Father, I pray that you would heal that in the name of Jesus right now. And Father, maybe there's, as we're just sitting here reflecting, maybe, Father, someone comes to mind that maybe we weren't as gracious as we could have been, and maybe we need to go back to them and ask for forgiveness and make sure that that relationship is right. uh, Father, I pray that you would protect this congregation from those seeds of anger, from those seeds of strife and division, that they would not take root and that they would die quickly. Father, that your Holy Spirit would protect us as a congregation. So, Father, we thank you again for this day. And, Lord, as we leave this place, I ask, Father, that you would uh, continue to go before us and prepare the way. Father, that you give your people favor with uh, the tasks they put their hands to, with the relationships and the people they meet. Father, that each would be blessed this day, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Great, great stories that came out of that, of people talking about things in their life. And that's one way to get over that hurdle. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to expose anything about yourself, but you created an environment that's warming simply by asking questions about them. When people start to telling you about their life, it's huge. That's a really big thing. I remember uh, one time a few years ago, we're coming back, we're visiting one of my family uh, on my side, and um, I remember as we were driving home, I was really kind of bothered. And I just, I, you know, I just feel like something's just not sitting right with you. And, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't really figure it out what it was. And so it was a couple hours driving, you know, well into the trip. Um, it dawned on me what was going on. And I realized that we were there with my, this portion of my family for a day and a half. For a day and a half. And at no point in time did anyone ask, how are you? What's going on in your life? They showed absolutely no interest in me whatsoever. They were happy I was there. I knew they loved me, but there was just a complete disconnect. And I felt really, uh, it just didn't sit well that they didn't even ask questions. If you want to make friends with people around you, the simple, most surefire way of doing that is just show interest in them. Ask them questions about who they are, what they do, what they like, what they don't like. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. The very last slide in that airport 
video had a caption. I don't know if you caught this, but the caption said, here's two connections wherever they may happen. I love that. Whether it's in an airport or in your neighborhood or here in church on a Sunday morning, wherever they happen, connecting with other people is a good thing. Now let me be clear. This idea of following Jesus, Jesus isn't safe. You follow Jesus long enough, sooner or later you're going to end up at a cross. And things aren't always the way we want them to be. And safety is a natural desire. The idea of playing it safe, it's, it's a human natural, I think, part of, what the, part of how we're made. But it can keep us, that fear can keep us from engaging and encountering and from being who God wants us to be. I'm convinced that when you sign on to follow Jesus, you've signed on for life's greatest adventure. And the next big chapter in your adventure might come with you making the time and overcoming your fear to connect with one of your neighbors, to connect with someone you don't know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so very grateful that your plan for us is is not just that, well, I'm grateful that your plan for us is that we're to be fashioned and formed into the son of into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Part of that, Lord God, is this ability to engage with people in very profound ways. Father, my prayer for us is that we are people who aren't, who see through this excuse of time and recognize it for what it is. And Lord, that in those moments where we need to set something aside, where we need to be more like Mary instead of Martha, we're able to do that. And we can recognize that and, and we can, Lord, engage others as we need to. For those of us who might um, be a little more fearful in engaging other people, Lord, I pray for courage. I pray, Lord God, that there would be a very simple encounter. Lord, even this week, whether we're at the grocery store or some other place, where there, but there would be a very simple conversation that where we would be able to open up a little bit and ask questions and get to know someone, but that there would be a connection. And Father, afterwards, Lord, you remind us of this morning and, and what we're doing. And Lord, we would begin to see how that you're so intimately involved in the relations in our life. So, Father, I pray that uh, we continue to be a people who uh, love others, not just by word, Father, by our actions. That we wouldn't be indifferent to those around us, but that we would take steps, that we do and say the things that need to be said and done. Father, I just thank you again for what you're doing and for the fact that you call us, Lord God, to be part of your kingdom work here on earth. So, Lord, if there's any here this morning who have not totally surrendered their life to you, that they would do that this morning. The recognition that, that we need to be dependent on you for guidance, for provision, for direction. And in that, Lord God, when we do that, amazing things can happen. So Father, again, we thank you for all these things. Now in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.